0: Thank you all for being here with us today. Uh, We are in the midst of what we're calling the Jesus Series, this thing that we're doing. We started in September, and this is going all the way through the beginning of May. And what we're doing here as a church, and you know this, you know this by now, right? A lot of you have been here with us since the beginning. What we're doing is we're going through the life of Jesus in a mostly chronological order, looking at what He did, listening to what He had to say. And the reason that we're doing this is if, and we needed a reason, uh, the reason we're doing this is to get to know Jesus better, right? Not just those of us who are believers, but we want to provide people who aren't yet believers the opportunity to get to know Jesus, to hear him in his own words, to see what he did, to hear what he said for themselves. Don't just take some Christian's word for it. Look at what Jesus did and said for yourself. That's the the thing we want to encourage here. And so we're making our way through this series. And uh, last Sunday, we did something fun, or maybe it wasn't fun, depending on your perspective. Uh, Last Sunday, I ran a little experiment. For those of you who were here, you were all unwilling participants in a little experiment that we ran. And so we looked at the Sermon on the Mountain in its entirety, three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I talked you through all three chapters, and it took some time time didn't it right it sure did <laughs> those are some honest words spoken it sure did and that's what we did we looked through because i wanted you to see we've done this before in the past and we've broken it down into the chapters or smaller sections before but i wanted you to see it in context the whole thing because as jesus preaches one idea flows to the next to the next to the next and it all adds up to one sermon and so we did that last week and i want to thank you those of you who just had positive things to say and gave me encouragement and appreciated that, thank you so much for those kind words. I hope that I respond appropriately when you have something affirming to say. <clears throat> I really try to be polite when you give me those, you know, positive words. I try not to be rude or anything like that, but I have to tell you, I, I'm a little bit concerned because I don't want us to lose sight of the point. The point is, we can't just listen to the words of Jesus. We can't just read the words of Jesus. We have to actually live them out, right? Because we believers, we could spend a lot of time and we could do this Jesus series reading plan and we could show up at small groups and you can sit politely and listen to sermons and that's all well and good. But there's no benefits unless we actually live it out. We can't just read or listen to the teachings, we have to do them. And so when Jesus says, hey, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, oh, wow, what a fun teaching. Isn't that interesting? No, no, no. We have to actually live that out. And when Jesus says to judge a tree by its fruit, you know, take a look at a prophet, that person, that believer, if they're coming to you and they're actually producing good fruits and accomplishing some ministry with their life, when Jesus says that that's how we should judge a prophet, well, that's, that's what we Should do. We can't just listen to the words and agree with them, right? A lot of that happening in churches. Mmm, right? The Christian mood. Do you know about the Christian mood? I've talked about that before. When a preacher's up there saying something and the Christians go, mmm, that Christian mood. We all agree, yes. But I tell you what, if you could just give me a moment to be a little bit dramatic here, it grieves my heart to think that there's just a bunch of us listening to the words and agreeing with them, but not actually living them out. I think I've made my point, yeah? We have to actually do it. We have to actually live it out. At this point in the Jesus series, I want to journey back to something we discussed in the very beginning of this series, the different ways that people approached Jesus, right? There's basically two different ways that people approach Jesus, and we talked about this at the very beginning of the series, and we're seeing this play out as we go through the life and ministry of Jesus. Some people approach Jesus with a humility, they were ready to listen, ready to hear him out, ready to explore his claims. Maybe not just jumping in right away, but at least humble enough to consider what Jesus had to say, consider his teachings, and watch his life, and look at the fruit, and consider is this person doing something from God? Is this a man of God? Is this a prophet? Some people approach Jesus with that humility, and other people approach Jesus with that pride, a sense of pride. Pride not really hearing him out, not paying attention to the fruit or of his ministry, but just had that prideful spirit, you know, that spirit of a Pharisee, where they're looking at his life and listening to his teachings, and really just, they were assessing and critiquing and judging, these self-appointed judges, they weren't, they weren't hearing him out, right? They were coming from a place of pride, and that's essentially how people approach Jesus. And yes, I know there are variations there, no one was perfectly proud or perfectly humble, but that's, that's basically what you have, People that approach Jesus with that humility, let me hear you out. People approach Jesus with pride, let me assess you, right? Those are very different approaches to Jesus, and all these years later, we still approach Jesus in that same way, curious and willing to hear him out, or just skeptical and ready to assess and critique and judge and condemn and tear down, right? And so as we go through the life of Jesus, we see that he's encountering these two different groups of people. And for the most part, you have this group of people that make up the religious establishment, you know, the members of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and for the most part, the Pharisees come at Jesus from that perspective of pride, right? They assess, they critique, they judge, although there are exceptions, like Nicodemus. Do you remember Nicodemus when we talked about him? Nicodemus actually looked at the fruit of Jesus' life, looked at his ministry and said, okay, what he's doing no one could do that if God was not with them. And so we see the Pharisees, we see the, the so-called righteous, we see them and they have that spirit of pride towards Jesus. But then we have the group of people that Jesus refers to as the sinners. And for the most part, the sinners have that openness to hear Jesus out. They're aware of their weakness. They're aware they need a change. So that's what we see. It was we go through the life of Jesus. And before the ministry of Jesus, we met a man named John the Baptist. We remember John the Baptist? And he encountered the exact Same thing, the exact same dynamic. People approaching John, ready to hear him out, willing to listen, and on the other hand, you had people that come to evaluate. Yes, what are you saying, John, and what are you up to? Are you meeting our standards? You know, you had that same thing in the ministry of John. We're going to take a look at a passage today from Luke 7. Well, let me set the stage for this passage. At this point in time, John the Baptist has been put in prison by Herod Antipas, so he is in prison there, and while he is in prison, his disciples are still out and about, and they're paying attention to the ministry of Jesus. And so that's where we are as we jump into Luke 7. I'm going to pick up, if you have your Bible with you or your Bible app, we're going to be in Luke 7, beginning with verse 18. <clears throat> Again, stage is set. John is in prison at this point in time. His disciples are paying attention to the ministry of Jesus, and this is where we are. The disciples of John reported to him about all these things, all the things that Jesus was doing and saying. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one? Or do we look for someone else? And so here's the scene. John from prison, hearing about what's happening in the life of Jesus, hearing about the ministry, hearing about the response, and he sends two of his disciples to inquire of Jesus. Hey, is it you? Are you really the Messiah? Are you the one that we are waiting for? And there's a degree of speculation here. What's going on? Why is John sending his disciples to ask this question of Jesus? What's going on in the heart of John the Baptist? I mean, is he, is he doubting? Is he doubting that perhaps Jesus really is the Messiah? Could that be? I mean, John had this just wonderful, miraculous experience with Jesus where he saw this man come before him. And when this man, Jesus, approached him, he heard the voice of God. And the voice of God said, this is my son whom I love. And John saw the Spirit of God descending on Jesus in the form of a dove, and he saw this miraculous sign. Like, wow, this is him. And now, all these months later, is John starting to doubt? I don't know. I don't know why he sends these two disciples. Maybe it was for the sake of the disciples. I don't know what's going on in the heart of John the Baptist. But it makes me sad to consider the possibility that maybe even John was doubting. You know, in the men's group, one of the things that we've talked about is how Jesus, you know, sometimes he does exactly what you would expect a man of God to do. Sometimes he behaves just the way you would expect the Messiah to behave. And then sometimes he does things that are surprising. Sometimes he says things that are even offensive. And so when word made it back to John the Baptist, did he begin to doubt, I don't know. We don't know. All we know is that John sent two of his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus the question, is it really you? Are you the one we were expecting? Are you the Messiah? And look at how Jesus responds to that. Verse 21 is really the answer. Here's how Jesus responds. At that very time when he was asked, at that very time he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits and he gave sight to many Who were blind. And he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. He says, I want you to go back and just report to John what you've seen and what you've heard. You know, Jesus doesn't answer by saying, no, dude, it's totally me. I'm the expected one. Go tell John, because what's that going to do? Now, he says to these disciples, look at the fruit. Look at the work that's being accomplished. Look at what's happening. And then go tell John what you've seen, because the fruit speaks for itself. Who else could do these things? Giving sight to the blind, healing the deaf, you know, dealing with those who are demon-possessed and cleansing them, cleansing the lepers. I mean, these are miraculous. These are miracles on a scale like no one has ever seen before. Of course it's him. Of course it's him. And then in verse 23, Jesus says something again. This is one of these sad moments in the Gospels. Why does he say this? Jesus says, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. What? Did you know Jesus said that? I mean, some of you Christian people, you've been Christian for a long time. This is, Jesus said this, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, it's been a while since I've been out of seminary, and it's been a while since I studied Greek, right? And I was never really a strong Greek student, so I went back. I was like, what does that term mean, offended? And so I looked it up in Greek, and it means offended, (laughs) or it means scandalized. Blessed is the one who's not scandalized by what I'm saying And by what I'm doing, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You know, there were times where Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and he was so harsh and his disciples pulled him away and said, some of those guys were offended at what you said. And here Jesus is saying, well, blessed is the one who's not offended, shocked to the point of offense at me. When the messengers of John had left, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John the Baptist. And I love this. I love this so much. Here's what he says. Talking to the group of people, and almost certainly a diverse group of people, some who had that humble spirit, some who had that self righteous spirit, some, many in that crowd had been baptized by John, some had rejected John. And here's what he says about John What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? I mean, John's out there in the wilderness, baptizing, doing this weird washing ceremony, and all of you left, and you went out to the countryside, out to the wilderness to see this man. Why did you go out there? Did you hear about some reed? Oh, we've got to see this reed swayed by the wind. That's not why you went out there. Did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? No. But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are in splendid clothing live in luxury and are found in royal places. Did you go out there to see a fancy man? <laughs> no. All dressed in a fine robe, yes. In jewelry and soft garments. No. You don't find people like that out in the wilderness, down in the river, you know. Up to their waist baptizing people? No, you find them. You might find them in the temple. You might find them among the members of the Sanhedrin. Yeah, these fancy lads. Not out there in the wilderness. So it wasn't a reed swayed by the wind, and it wasn't somebody fancy, somebody royal, or a priest or a Pharisee. Then who was it? What did you go out to see? And I imagine there's a moment of silence. Does Jesus want us to answer him now? What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you. And one who is more than a prophet. And so here is Jesus validating the ministry of John the Baptist. Verse 27, he says, this is the one about whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And that's from Malachi 3.1. So Jesus is referring to this prophecy, a prophecy spoken about John the Baptist. Verse 28, listen to these words that Jesus says about John the Baptist. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. I mean, how about that? Getting that boy from Jesus, that's huge. There's no one greater than John. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. There's this future kingdom that's coming. Well, you'll see even greater things and meet even greater people and we'll all be transformed into even greater than John the Baptist. When we get there, when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. You know, Jesus is right. He really was incredible. That was an incredible ministry, and we were baptized, and we repented, and we liked what he had to say. Didn't we like what he had to say? They all saw God's justice in the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Verse 31, to what then shall I compare the men of this generation, and what are they like? You know, I'm looking at the way that you people respond to John, and how you respond to me, Jesus says of himself, I'm looking at this, what are you, what are you people like? I'll tell you what you're like. You want to hear what you're like? I don't know if we do, Jesus. I'll tell you what you're like. I'll tell you what the men of this generation are like. They are like children. Oh, that's, that's nice, right? You know, I have the faith of a child. Doesn't Jesus say something about that? Or let the little children come to me. Isn't that great? Yeah? Well, in context, what Jesus says here about children isn't very nice. You know the expression, kids can be cruel? It's that kind of thing Jesus is talking about. You ever seen that? Kids can be cruel. They haven't learned how to be polite yet. And they say these nasty things to each other sometimes, right? Have you witnessed this? Yeah. What are y'all like here? Let me tell you what you're like. You're like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another and they say, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep, right? We played a fun little song on our flute and you didn't even dance when we wanted you to. Dance, nope. And then we were sad and we sang a mournful song but you did not cry with us. Now, if you're confused by what Jesus is saying here, let's keep reading because it begins to make more sense. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread, he was gluten-free, and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. And the Son of Man, that's a term Jesus uses to refer to himself, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking And you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And by the way, guys, when you're calling me that, I know you don't mean it as a compliment. Jesus is talking about this phenomenon that we've seen throughout history and we see it today. There's just some people that you can't do anything right by their standards. You play the flute. Hey, I want you to dance. Well, I'm dancing. Well, now it's too late. I want you to to cry with us as we're playing a mournful song. Okay, well, I'm crying. Well, now that's not good enough for us. There's some people, you just feel that way, like, I just can't win. No matter what we're doing, you're going to find a flaw in it. No matter how much good is being produced, you're going to try to critique it and assess it and find something wrong with it. I just can't win with you people. (laughs) I feel like that's what Jesus is saying. I mean, here you are, you're saying how wonderful John the Baptist was, some of you. But what was said about him? I mean, you saw this man, I mean, think of it from the Pharisees' perspective. And there they were, living a relatively cushy life, right? Earning a relatively decent salary. And they looked out at this man in the wilderness, and they said, well, this guy's a lunatic. He must be possessed by a demon, right? They just sat back and critiqued the good that someone else was doing while they themselves did nothing, right? And then they look at the ministry of Jesus, very different from John in some ways. Look at this guy. I mean, he's eating bread and he's hanging out and he's having a grand old time with these sinners. Are they passing around some wine? He's eating, he's drinking, he's hanging out with people. He should know. I mean, if this was a man of God, he would know you should not be rubbing elbows with these people. This guy's a glutton. And a drunkard and a friend and associate of the evil sinners—you <laughs> just can't win with some people, right? You just can't win. Have you felt that? Why you just can't win? Some people are just so critical of everything and everyone, and it doesn't matter how much good you do—they'll find some way to tear you down and condemn. Have you felt that? Goodness gracious! Those sad little smiles that some of you have are telling me, you know what this is like and you know what this feels like. Maybe you've experienced this and this is a thing and this is a sad thing, but sometimes when people are young and they first start dating and they get themselves into these romantic relationships and they find themselves with a partner that just is always criticizing And condemning, well, why didn't you call me? Or you should have called me more often. Or why didn't you text me? Or why didn't you do that? Or you didn't give me enough presents for my birthday. You know those dysfunctional relationships, right? Okay. (laughs) Again, I'm reading your faces. You know what they're like? Like to be with someone that's always saying what you're doing is not, no matter how much good you're doing, it's not good enough. It doesn't meet my standards. Some of you know what it's like to work for somebody like that. Whew. Oh, I get it. When you're a boss, you do have to you know, have control over some things, and there might be times when you need to you know, discipline some people or correct some issues. I get that. I get that. That's not the type of thing I'm talking about. You know what it's like to work for somebody? No matter what you do or what you accomplish, it's not good enough. Let me point out the flaw and what's wrong with everything you're doing. You know what that's like? Some of you know what that's like. How about a parent? How about a parent, right? No matter what you do, it's not good enough. No matter what you say, no matter what kind of grades you get, or what kind of job you get, or what kind of college you get into, you just feel like, "Ugh, I can't get your approval on anything. Just feeling that sense of critiqued and judged and condemned no matter what you do. How about in the context of church life, of Christian life? Have you had encounters with a believer that's made you feel that way no matter how much you serve or how much you give or what kind of ministry you do or how much you support the church or how much you do for Jesus, people that just make you feel like what you do is not good enough, and let me tell you why. Have you dealt with that kind of thing? Have you experienced what that's like? People that have that Pharisee mindset, and they'll find something to critique or condemn in every good thing that you do. You know, we've been around for 11 years as a church, and we've certainly experienced things like that in this church. I've got a name for people like that, and I probably shouldn't tell you because this sounds judgmental on my part, <clears throat> but I call them professional church critics, right? They come in, and they say, well, here's what you're doing wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is why your preaching's wrong, and this is why small groups are wrong, and here's where you could be doing a better job with your events, and wrong, 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 condemn, 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 nothing's ever good enough for me type people, Right? And I have personal experience with people that have that attitude and that mindset. In fact, I used to be that person. (laughs) I used to have that Pharisee attitude. And it's embarrassing to admit this to you, but it was part of my journey in the faith. You know, I found myself at a certain point of time in Bible college, and now I'm learning all these things, right? Have you seen people go through this where they go to college and all of a sudden they think they've got the world figured out? Well, that was me. I thought I had it all figured out. And I remember at that stage of my life walking into churches and listening to a sermon and listening to the music and looking at the bulletin and saying, like, wrong, 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 wrong. That was me. Critiquing, assessing, judging, condemning. In fact, there's one church, and I won't mention it, but there's one church in this area that I now look at and think, wow, wow. They are so incredible. They're doing such amazing work. But when I had that Pharisee attitude, I couldn't see any of it. I was just critiquing and judging and pointing out the things that I thought were wrong, and I wonder, why was I like that, right? (laughs) Why do people get like that? Because I've noticed it's not just me. For a lot of people who are believers, we go through a phase like that. Now, some of you manage to avoid it, but a lot of us go through that prideful Pharisee phase. Why was I like that? Part of it is just simple. I'm a human being, and human beings have pride, and I was arrogant, and that's all there is to it, but I think there's something else to it. Sometimes we go critical and get judgmental because we're trying to protect ourselves. We're trying to avoid being challenged, avoid being corrected, avoid receiving. Sometimes that's what we do. It's as if we look past the plank in our own eye and just start criticizing the tiny specks in everybody else's eye. And As long as we're focused on what other people are doing wrong, then I don't have to deal with my own sin issue, right? And so sometimes, and I hope you're the exception to this, but sometimes we believers, we take on that Pharisee attitude in order to protect ourselves. I don't want to change. I don't want to grow. I don't want to be told what I'm doing is wrong, Right? Sometimes that's why we do that, and it's an ugly thing. And so, here's my message to you believers, you Christian people. Any Christians here today? A few of you? A few? Okay, one, two, a few. That's good. That's good. That's enough. Yeah, that's good. So, here's my message to you. You see how ugly this is? You know, there's people that you just can't win with, that have that Pharisee attitude, right? Here's my message to you Christians. Don't be like that don't be like that. You don't want to be like that, right? You don't want to put yourself, you don't want to be a self-appointed judge. You don't want to put yourself in that position, always critiquing, always tearing down, always condemning, always finding the weak spot and target. You don't want to be like that. It's no good for anyone. It's no good for you. I mean, what are you accomplishing by taking on that Pharisee attitude? Are you working on your own life? Are you working on your own walk with the Lord? No. Why don't we just do what Jesus told us to do? First off, treat other people the way that we want to be treated, and then next, judge the tree by its fruit, by what's being produced. You know, questions come up in men's group a few weeks ago, it's like, well, how did these people not see (laughs) all the miracles that Jesus performed? How could they refuse to accept Jesus? How could you refuse to? I mean, the blind are given sight, the deaf for healing, leprosy is cleansed. How could the people not see? I'll tell you why they were ignoring the fruit, right? They wanted to hold on to that position of authority and hold on to that judgment seat and keep themselves there. So don't be like that. Don't be like that. God bless you. We don't want to be like that, right? Just a few days ago, I was talking with Brett, our worship leader, And I was telling him, I'm I'm very excited to share this passage on Sunday because I love this passage and I love talking about it, but I'm not sure where to land with it. And Brett brought up something, so I want to give you credit for this. He said, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, if you look at the ministry of John the Baptist, and even though they did endure this criticism and judgment and being condemned by people, look at what they did. They just kept on going. Nothing stopped them from fulfilling their God-given mission. I know this weren't your exact words, I don't think, but that's the idea. Nothing stopped them. And you see this in the life of all the apostles, being condemned, being criticized, having to deal with the self-appointed judges. They just kept going. You see this in the life of Paul. He just keeps going. And as a church, that's the attitude that we need to take on. We're just going to keep going. And if we ever experience persecution, if we ever experience being criticized, if we ever experience that type of suffering, as gentle as it may be, we're going to do what Jesus said to do, which is rejoice. Be glad. And leap for joy. For in the same way, they treated the prophets who were before us. And I'm telling you right now as your pastor, and I hope that you can join me in this attitude, there is nothing that's going to stop us for fulfilling our mission. Our mission is too important. It's the mission of sharing the gospel of Jesus with the people who don't yet have Jesus as their Savior. It's too important, and nothing, nothing will knock us off of that mission. Amen? Amen. As you were able, please stand as we join together in our closing prayer. Father God, before this congregation, I want to once again apologize to you and confess my sinfulness, and I know there have been seasons of life where I've slipped into Pharisee mode, and I know that I could slip there again, but I don't want to, God. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go critical. I don't want to make myself the judge of anyone, and so, Father God, I pray again before this group of people that you would protect me from that attitude. I pray that for this congregation as well. Protect us from going to that place of criticism and judgment and negativity. Don't let us be a people like that. Lord Jesus, when you look at us as a church, see us. See us as a work in progress. See us for our desire to serve you and honor you. And Father God, as I have said earlier, as I just spoke these words moments ago, Let them become a reality in our lives. We won't let, Jesus, we won't let anything stop us from sharing the gospel with our community. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.